It's a long journey home, but he insisted he do it. Brigadier Phelan sits alone with the casket in the hold, the roar of the engines in his ear, the plane a giant, stiff-winged creature, grey across the slow blue sky, entire continents turning steadily beneath him. He feels the weight of his duty, part sentry, part companion. He's here because it's army protocol that a soldier accompanies the body home. He's here to bear witness to this journey, and he is here to atone, though he doesn't yet understand his offence. Phelan smooths out a crease that has gathered in the flag draped over the silver casket. His temples throb with the plain and whatever is beyond the sky's roar. He can't think for the noise, a blessing really, louder than the ringing from the blast he still can't shake. He's not ready to think. So he succumbs to it and enters it like a cocoon. His chin drops against his chest and he dozes as sentinels in outposts on the edges of civilization have succumbed to sleep since the beginning of the world. When he wakes, it is to the sound of wailing. Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast, sponsored by Pantera Press. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Hi and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Angus Dalton here with you. Simon Cleary is the author of The Comfort of Figs and Closer to Stone, which won the People's Choice Award at the 2012 Queensland Literary Awards. You just heard Simon reading from his latest novel, The War Artist, which follows a brigadier called James Phelan escorting the body of a young soldier home to Sydney after a mission in Afghanistan turns deadly. Upon Phelan's return, an encounter with a tattoo artist called Kira alters the course of his life. Simon is phoning in from Brisbane to chat about this book. Hi, Simon. Thanks for joining me. Thanks very much, Angus. Good to be here. Before we talk about The War Artist, I wanted to ask about your previous book, Closer to Stone, which was inspired by a trip you took through the Sahara Desert some years ago. Uh, What was that book about? Look, ultimately, it was a story about uh, belief, um, extreme beliefs, and the the consequences, the adverse consequences of um, uh, extreme beliefs. And it was set during uh, the Algerian civil war in the early 1990s, um, uh, an ugly civil war, which uh, began when the uh, the Mujahideen from Algeria had successfully ousted the, the Russians, uh, the Soviets, from Afghanistan, returned home to Algeria, keen on setting up uh, a state, um, a, a fundamentalist Islamic state of their own, and they were denied that by uh, by the UN and, and, and the US-backed military government of the time. Uh, they split into a military wing and a political wing, and the military wing commenced uh, a war which was um, characterised by terrible atrocities, and the government of the time equally um, committed terrible, terrible uh, atrocities. So it, it, it's set uh, in that context, and there is an Australian connection, and the Australian connection is that uh, we as a country had peacekeepers in neighbouring Western Sahara at the same time, and the story follows the journey of uh, an Australian soldier who was a peacekeeper in the Western Sahara who goes missing, and uh, goes missing in the desert, and his younger brother, a sculptor, uh, 
follows him, and it's told through the perspective of the younger brother seeking out um, his older brother. Yeah, and you sort of, uh, I guess, came up with the idea for this book as a result of a trip that you took after you graduated from university. What sort of motivated you to travel to Africa to hitchhike? Well, um, as, as a young as a young lad, I, I uh, read plenty of adventure stories, and uh, including about the world and about what what were the, the far flung corners of the world for me as I grew up in Toowoomba in in Queensland. And uh, when I looked at a map, uh, French speaking Western Sahara, rather French speaking Western Africa, was uh, about as far away as Toowoomba as, as I could imagine. And it seemed like a terrific adventure to hitchhike across the Sahara to get there. Uh, so a friend and I um, did just that. But we, we found ourselves in Algeria um, as we were crossing the desert um, at that particular point in time in history uh, where um, atrocities were beginning uh, to be carried out and uh, borders began to close uh, uh, all around us. So it was, um, and, you know, it, it was an interesting time, to say the least, to, to be there. Yeah, was it quite dangerous? There were there were uh, Westerners, as um, we sometimes call them, but foreign workers is probably uh, a better word. Who were um, been killed? Uh, there was a clampdown. Uh, on the liberal media uh, at the time. There were journalists, Algerian liberal journalists, uh, who were being killed as well. Um, there were borders that were being shut because the government at the time was trying to control the borders and didn't want uh, foreign insurgents entering Algeria from uh, from other states. So it, it was uh, it certainly was was a hot time. We um, we got out uh, and continued our journey across the uh, the desert uh, by another route. Um, uh, and, and in the years following when we were there at the start, Algeria really did deteriorate into, into a bloodbath. And how long after your return from that trip did you start writing Closer to Stone? Well, Closer to Stone was, was my second book. Uh, and so after coming back uh, from the trip, um, I, I wrote The Comfort of Figs, my first book. And it was, um, it was really after September 11 that um, some of the experiences that I'd had back in Algeria uh, started to resonate, I guess, particularly acutely. And, and so that caused me just to go back to some of that experience and to explore some of it in a fictional way. Yeah, so it's interesting that you bring up 9-11 because obviously that was sort of the catalyst for the Afghanistan war, which is so much of what your new novel is about. Um, What do you remember of that time unfolding, the time of those September 11 attacks and then the ensuing Afghanistan war? Yeah, look, look, personally, uh, I uh, remember vividly, as so many of us do, watching events unfold uh, on breakfast television mm. uh, on, on the day of September 11 itself and the dramatic nature of it, but also the surreal um, nature of it unfolding on, on television. Um, you know, geopolitically... We, that is Australia, um, followed America swiftly uh, into Afghanistan and, and some years uh, after that into Iraq as well. So geopolitical events 
began to to race uh, pretty quickly after that that event, and that was uh, nearly 18 years ago. And as a country, we have been involved in that conflict from the start. Um, you know, we've been involved in the, that's our longest war. Uh, we, as a country, have been involved in the conflict in Afghanistan for over 10 percent of our life as a country for 18 years. It's really, um, it's something that I found fascinating to think about. That it's been, uh, it's been really normalised. Our involvement in in that conflict has been a normal part of um, our, our life as a state for the last 18 years. Yeah, wow, 10% of our lifespan. When you put it like that, you really start to get an idea of how long this has been part of, yeah, our national fabric, I guess. Yeah, somebody, somebody born uh, on the day that our first soldiers went into Afghanistan would be turning 18 uh, this year. They're becoming an adult this year. Uh, it, it really is uh, a long, a long commitment um, that we've had to that place. Was it sort of your experiences uh, in Algeria that, started your interest in war and its human effects? Because, you know, it seems like that's something that you sort of uh, looked at in Closer to Stone and now obviously the war artist. Yeah, it, it is. Um, it, they, they do centre um, on, on those themes and uh, and the, the, the human impacts for people at home, families and communities uh, uh, of of war and of the horrors of war, but I think probably my interest, if I if I had to try and pinpoint um, a, a very first interest, would would probably come from my own grandfather who fought in the First World War uh, and came home with enough nightmares to last last a lifetime, really. And my father used to describe the nightmares that he would hear as a kid and in fact it was his responsibility as uh, the eldest son to go into his father's bedroom and to soothe his father from the the nightmares that he was experiencing so at a personal level uh, that's been a part of my own family story and the consequences of the horrors of war has been something that's, that's interested me as a result of that too. So how did the actual idea for the story of the war artist begin? Part of the work that I do during the day has been to represent uh, people in a legal context uh, in various disputes and over the years I've uh, acted for people who have suffered from PTSD and other war-related traumas and there was a story that I came across which at the time I just found an utterly compelling one of a fellow who'd returned from Afghanistan troubled by his experiences and uh, who'd settled in a regional town and had tried to piece his life together again but in attempting to piece a life together which had utterly fragmented he sought to keep control or to take control of just this little part of his life and the little part of his life he tried to keep control of was a stretch of road, a 15 kilometre stretch of road near his home and he just got it into his mind that uh, he had a responsibility to keep that stretch of road safe and uh, it 
was an injustice to him to see people speeding along a stretch of road that had a speed limit. And he took it upon himself to privately police uh, that stretch of road from people who were speeding. Uh, and uh, that inevitably led to conflict uh, because he'd lost the ability to deal with those human interactions in a, uh, uh, in a reasonable way. And so uh, that led to flare-ups, uh, which in turn led to um, people who otherwise would just be driving along a 15-kilometre uh, stretch of road without really realising they were speeding, um, experiencing incidents of road rage. And so the ways in which those war experiences affect not just the person suffering from them, but also the, their loved ones uh, and the community around them um, was really fascinating. And that just led me into this story uh, and the story of uh, the soldier who's come back uh, traumatised from, from what he's seen in Afghanistan. Yeah, so the character that you explore that through, James Phelan, is a brigadier, which is sort of like a, a senior rank in the army. Um, but he hasn't really had that much frontline action in terms of on-the-ground battle, which is something he feels guilty about, right? Yeah, exactly. He, he, he has, he's risen through the ranks, um, and he's risen, he's risen high. And he feels that he's not yet got the level of personal authority he wished he had because he hasn't yet seen action. He hasn't yet seen combat. And he's desperate to do that. He gets posted uh, into a very, very senior uh, position in Afghanistan. Uh, this is all fictional, of course, mm. uh, but gets posted to this very senior position and is desperate to go on a patrol to stand with his men and to uh, to experience combat with them. But it goes wrong. It goes wrong because he finds an excuse to go on a patrol. The Taliban learn that he's on the patrol. They ambush the patrol knowing there's a high-ranking officer on it and a young soldier um, Sapper Beckett is the name of the soldier in the book gets killed uh, and feeling the brigadier wheels and reels away from that experience traumatised and feeling uh, desperately guilty while at the same time his um, uh, the other men who are on the patrol hold him responsible uh, for their for their comrade's death. So how did your understanding of PTSD change over the course of doing your research and writing this book? Yeah, gee, that's a good question. Um, I, I think uh, I grew to understand the complexities of the ways in which PTSD is manifested, um, that uh, often it can be the cause of a number of experiences. So uh, experience upon experience can build up until uh, someone reaches a, a tipping point, um, if you like. Sometimes the experience can be as a result of one uh, incident, given the circumstances of it. Um, so the circumstances leading up to it um, were uh, were broadened, at least in my understanding of them. And then, as I said, the manifestations, how how the symptoms of it play out, and just how seriously it can affect um, loved ones, family members, friends. Uh, and communities who seek to support uh, someone who suffered from, from PTSD or war trauma when they come home.
Yeah, do you think it's something that the general public or even people who might know someone who is who has PTSD, is it something that we really have a handle on and, and know fully how to support? Oh, look, I think it, a, lot of, a lot of work's been done on uh, PTSD diagnosis for veterans and a lot of work has been done in the treatment field as well and people like the Gallipoli Medical Research Foundation are doing work now to research those questions even more. So over the course of our engagement in Afghanistan, I think it has been an area of increasing uh, knowledge. Uh, but in the community, it's something that I suspect we don't understand as much as we could. Um, and just how devastating the experience of PTSD can be for for soldiers, but not just soldiers. It, it's a. I know that PTSD, of course, is is the subject of this book. But um, the book also asks questions about the similarities in terms of the experience of trauma uh, that soldiers experience with people in civilian life um, who have traumatic experiences in civilian life and how um, those experiences may be similar and how and how they may differ. So what are some of the ways that PTSD manifests itself in your character, James Phelan? Look, he, he, can't, he can't settle uh, into civilian life. He uh, can't sleep. He is uh, hyper-aroused sounds, uh, sudden sounds, uh, cause him to, to flinch or to physically react. Um, so he's um, acutely aroused for experiences around him. He suffers nightmares. Um, the nightmares um, are so vivid uh, that they themselves are almost... Um, a re-traumatising experience for him and the build-up of uh, being unable to sleep, um, being on edge, feeling that uh, civilian life is so trivial compared to what he was engaged in, uh, battles of life and death and uh, the responsibilities that he had as a senior officer in Afghanistan uh, were, were so much more important than so many of the conversations that he, that he overhears and is asked to engage in here. All of that builds up and it, and it ultimately gets too much for him. Early on, when you're reading about him uh, back, in, back in Sydney, when he walks into a room, he constantly analyses every sort of part of the room in a way that a, I, I guess a normal person wouldn't. Or if he's going and you know looking at a beautiful landscape, he's divvying it up into blocks in this very tactical, analytical way of a soldier. So is that something that people told you of, of coming back from Afghanistan? that you bring back sort of that really hyper-aware soldier's perspective, I guess? Yeah, it is. Yeah, no, so, so many of the, uh, the, the men, the soldiers I spoke with described that experience that uh, th they uh, are trained to be alert to their surroundings in a way that civilians don't need to be. Um, their surroundings 
um, need to be managed for reasons of not only their own life and death but those of uh, their, their colleagues often. Um, and so there's an acute awareness of those physical um, surrounds where risks may be in a landscape, where, where perils and dangers uh, may be in a landscape. Um, uh, soldiers have described to me uh, walking into rooms and um, seating themselves in ways in which they're facing the door, uh, for example, so that their back isn't to the door, that they're always alert to who may be entering the room and, and any dangers that may be coming uh, through that door. So there's that level of um, trained awareness of their surroundings, which um, I think is possibly heightened uh, when, when soldiers have had traumatic experiences. There's a scene in your book that I wanted to read a little bit of. Um, it's when uh, Phelan and his wife Penny are at a restaurant and uh, his wife mentions that Phelan's back from the war and the waitress sort of ignorantly asks, oh, what war? And Phelan sort of dismisses the ignorance, but inside he's thinking, it's damned well not all right. Sure, we wouldn't want to be like the States where they stand up on buses and pay for your meals and clap as you walk past in uniform. Christ, all of Yankee Stadium rises when the on-ground camera picks out a Marine in the bleachers. But we've got to be able to do better than limit our gratitude to Anzac Day and all of its little rituals, that national bloody containment exercise. So were you thinking, writing this book about the way that we uh, celebrate and acknowledge service people? Yes, I, I, I was. There, there are two sides to that, Angus. One side, for me anyway, is uh, the way in which we do that generally and the way in which we've done that as a country over the last four years as we've been remembering the First World War and our, our commitment to the First World War. So there have been so many national events uh, over the last four years which have uh, remembered various World War One battles that we've been involved in. And at times, uh, people that I've spoken with have felt uh, almost that there's been a saturation point in terms of uh, recognition. And so there's, there's that part of it. And then the other dimension is to what degree the, uh, the horrors of war have been recognised um, and perhaps whether they can be um, appropriately recognised by, uh, by, by the state in um, functions and memorials and events such as that. Um, but we do seem to do it differently as a country to the way that it's done in the States. Uh, and there was that debate that we had a few months ago now about uh, one of the, the national airlines uh, looking to recognise uh, vets who flew um, on, on the airline in a way which was reminiscent of the way that the Americans do those things. And that provoked a debate here about whether or not that is the way that we in Australia recognise uh, soldiers or whether uh, it's appropriate, whether it's over the top, whether it brings attention to people who'd rather that that attention not be brought to them. It was an interesting debate, I thought. Yeah, it was. Do you think that... Uh people coming back from Afghanistan, which is a conflict still going, uh, are treated differently to people who, you know, I guess so many people in Australia would have older family members who served in 
the, the World Wars and the Vietnam War, uh, past conflicts, which are, I guess, in a way easier to sort of um, to, to think about because they're over and done with. Whereas when people are coming back from Afghanistan, it's something that's still going and perhaps a little bit more poorly understood among the public. It's such an, an opaque war in so many ways, the Afghanistan conflict. It's been, as we, as we were talking about earlier, it's been going on for so long and it's not clear to many of us when the end point is and what, uh, what success would look like in terms of the war that's been fought in Afghanistan. And that complicates things, I think, in terms of uh, our own understanding of why we're in that conflict and what the what the legacy the national the legacy for our national identity will be for our involvement in that conflict yeah um so Phelan returns uh to sydney and pretty soon after landing meets kira a tattoo artist and you write about her tattoos and her attitude towards tattoos and their relationship really beautifully what fascinates you about tattooing and how did that become such a major part of the story Why, the way that tattooing has for so long been for many of us a, a ritual of sorts, um, a rite of sorts. Um, you, you know, South Sea Islanders have rituals of entering manhood and, and womanhood, which is marked by tattooing. Uh, there are tattoos which... Um, communicate to people that you're part of a group. So there is the, the bonding uh, that comes with getting tattoos. So those uses of tattooing were really interesting to me. Uh, the military, of course, has had a long, long connection with tattooing soldiers uh, and tattoo sailors uh, and tattoos for, for those sorts of reasons sometimes too. Um, and so that led me to to spend some time sitting quietly in the back of a tattoo studio for afternoon after afternoon, um, learning and watching and uh, and speaking with people who who got tattoos to memorialise in some way or another traumatic events that they'd experienced and. It was an interesting idea to me to explore the way in which tattooing might serve a purpose of healing for uh, people who've suffered trauma. Yeah. Do you have any tattoos, if you don't mind me asking? No, not at all. No, I don't have any tattoos. Uh, it was a, a real disappointment to the tattooist, the woman who was my guide to the tattooing world, that she couldn't ink me. Uh, she was desperate to. Every session that I'd come to, to sit and watch and learn, she'd say, it's today the day, it's today the day, uh, and I had to disappoint her. What were the sort of things that you saw other people getting? There was everything from tattoos to uh, to replicate um, what what celebrities are wearing at the moment. Wow! Through to and and it was these sorts of experiences which um, I, I really learnt a lot from uh, people who had had experienced things that they wanted to memorialise in some way or to connect with others um, through their tattoos. There was. Uh, 
um, you know, there was one one father who uh, separated from the mother of their son. He saw his son on weekends. His son was just a young boy. He was looking for a way to connect with his son. And uh, every every weekend, he'd ask his son what his favourite cartoon character was. And the following week, he would um, have that character tattooed onto him um, and show that that to his son and there was uh you know there's a level of of uh of, of you know pathos and uh about that sort of gesture uh you know which is aimed at creating a relationship with with a son that he was fearful of losing there was another young woman and this experience found its way into the pages of the war artist who had um She'd engaged in self-harm uh, and uh, there were some scars on her wrists that she wanted to cover because the scars were unsightly, but she didn't want them to disappear. So she, she wanted to claim uh, for herself, and I think, I think for the world, the experience that she'd had and that she'd gone through, and so she uh, had uh, she had some skulls, uh, skull and rose combinations tattooed over her scars, and it struck me as a really powerful and, and in some ways brave way of marking the experience that she'd had without trying to to hide that experience. So there were some. I think for so many of us who do have tattoos, there are really powerful personal reasons for why we get them. And there are so many stories, I think, that, that uh, those sorts of experiences can, you know, can give birth to. Yeah, the stories behind tattoos are always so fascinating. They are, aren't they? Yeah. So I was just thinking that the main character of Closer to Stone was a sculptor. And obviously we've got the tattoo artist and the tattooing running as a theme through the war artist. So is it sort of like, I guess, the recurring theme for you to put these creative, artistic people right up against experiences of war? Yeah, there's... there's look, I, I, can't, I can't hide that I am interested in the power of art to change us, um, both creators of art uh, and those who experience art uh, you know, you know, without having created it necessarily themselves. So both books do try and get at whether art can have a healing influence on people. Um, and I think it can. I think it can. And that's the sort of that's the sort of question that, that both of the books asks. Yeah, interesting. Um, I'm curious to know, because you talked a little bit about some of the books that you read before, but what were some of the, um, the books that you read, uh, be they novels or nonfiction, that really helped you sort of get a handle on the themes that you wanted to explore in The War Artist? Probably the first one would be uh, The Odyssey, Homer's The Odyssey. That, it, that's one of the early books about a soldier having fought a long war. Um, the Trojan War was a 10-year war. We're you know, hitting the 18-year mark here. And Odysseus's journey home after the end of that war and just how difficult it was for Odysseus as a soldier to settle into civilian life and just how many 
obstacles he had to conquer as he tried to return to civilian life and his wife, Penelope. Uh, that was the starting point, I think, in terms of um, my own reading. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the Odyssey there because a quote from the Odyssey is the, uh, the, the opener to the book. And it says, Odysseus, clutching his flaring sea blue cape in both powerful hands, drew it over his head and buried his handsome face, ashamed his hosts might see him shedding tears. What was it about that quote that made you want to open your book with it? Oh, that here is this this warrior hero who joins a feast uh, and he's sitting there at the head table and he can't help but feel... And he's fated as the guest. Here he is at the head table, a guest. But what's happening inside him is very, very different. And he's feeling broken uh, and he's ashamed uh, that he feels broken. And it seemed to me that that, that pointed in uh, a useful way to the experience that the feeling, um, as well as some of the women characters in Penny and Kira, uh, the way that, that they deal with events in their lives. Yeah. Um, that's so, so fascinating. Simon, thank you so much for joining me to chat about this book. I've really enjoyed listening to your super, super thoughtful answers. And, um, and the book is just absolutely fantastic as well. So I was really, really happy to have you on to chat to you about this book. Thank you so much. No, thanks very much. I enjoyed it too. And thanks for the opportunity, Angus. The War Artist by Simon Cleary is published by UQP. It's out now in all good bookshops, including Good Readings, online bookshop at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Thanks for listening.